We'll be reading from Acts 14 today. And as you're uh, getting that passage up and in front of you, um, it's going to be interesting to see what God has uh, for us through Gabe today on this because this passage is really uh, fraught with a lot of religious conflict, political conflict, you name it, right? But the thing is, you always have to take the long haul with God, right? Take one step back and realize, what is he doing in Acts? He's building his church. And you have to see that thread through this whole story. So we'll start in Acts 14.8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made whole, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes their garments, and rushed out into the crowd and crying out, said, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. What an astounding moment in history, right? I mean, anybody else in here been confused for a god at any point in their life? Allison, did I see that hand? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, none of us. Like, this is truly astounding. I mean, th th these folks at Lystra are just... They're, they've lost their minds. They're basically like a 13-year-old girl at a Shawn Mendes concert. Uh, some of you got that, some of you didn't. It's okay, it's fine. But listen, you have to understand and kind of put yourself in their, in their shoes and, and don't be too hard-pressed against the way in which they respond. I want you to imagine this. Think about this, okay? You know this guy who's, who was born and he's never been able to use his legs. He was born lame. Let's just call him Larry, because that seems right. Like, lame Larry from Lystra. Like, it has a ring to it, right? So let's just imagine that's what's happening. And then Paul and Barnabas, they come into Derby and they're proclaiming the gospel, this good news about what God has done through this person called Jesus, and that he's defeated death. And then suddenly Paul and Larry, they kind of, you know, catch each other's eye. And Paul sees something in Larry. Larry sees something in Paul and this broader message that he's been proclaiming. And then suddenly Paul's like, Larry, get up. And like a third grade boy ready for recess, he springs up and suddenly is walking like a pro. And people 
they, they lose their minds, right? They're like, get the cow, get the cultic priest, get your Cutco knives. Like it's time for barbecue and we're gonna, you know, worship Paul and Barnabas as if they're Zeus and Hermes. And this is the way they saw the world. Surely if this happened, I mean, we've known Larry all of his life and now he's walking and now he's like going around as if life is usual for him to just kind of go about life walking. And so they begin to worship and Paul and Barnabas do everything they can, every single thing they can to muster up the strength to tell them, don't worship us. Don't play your sacrifices to us. And as you keep reading, as you heard read this morning brilliantly by Lori, in Acts 14, suddenly the crowds shift. And this group from another town has such a big beef with Paul that they come across towns and they stir what were these, you know, the biggest fans of, of the gospel and what God has done through Paul and Barnabas and they become some of the greatest enemies. And they stone Paul and they drag him out of, this, out of the city. And you got to imagine this, like Paul must have been so mutilated, so bloodied, so disfigured that they thought he was dead. And these people aren't fools. Like Paul was so beat up that they thought he was dead. And then so they leave his body to rot out in the sun and they go back into the city. As we heard read, Paul wasn't dead. And, and what's totally amazing to me, what, what I can't find just words to describe, but I will because I'm a preacher, what I, <clears throat> is what Paul does when he gets his legs back, when he starts to get his energy again. When he finally gets this second or third or fourth lease on life, I mean, this isn't the first brush up against near-death experiences for Paul. What does he do next? He and Barnabas do some of the most life-changing, world-altering, I mean, life-impacting work that you can do with your life. And look at what they do. If you haven't already, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. There in verse 21, which is found on ch uh, page 923 of our community Bibles. And we read this. Amazing moment. Check this out. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Isn't that another amazing moment? Not really. I mean... I know, that's, and pastor's not supposed to say that. But in many ways, like, there's no big shock and awe going on here. There's, I mean, somebody just got their legs back. And, and, and listen, this can feel like an out-of-the-way story, this whole moment in Lystra where this guy has got his legs back. But the reality is if you've been following us and following this journey through the book of Acts, this is nothing, right? If you've read anything in the Gospels, you know Jesus heals people and provides food for some 5,000 people with a couple loaves and some fish. If we've been walking through Acts, you've seen that Peter did the same thing with a lame guy in the name of Jesus. You've seen demons be cast out. You've seen people be struck dead, struck blind. You've seen angels walk people out of prisons. I mean, there's some truly, I mean, this feels like Ripley's Believe It or Not. People are speaking in different tongues and they're not even using Rosetta Stone. Like it's all over the place. And as far-fetched as that feels, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who says, listen, Jesus died and for some reason there were people who were closest to him who actually abandoned him when he died on the cross, but three days later saw something, said that they saw Jesus physically resurrected, that they touched him, that they ate breakfast with him on the beach and were willing to die for that testimony instead of recanting that testimony and has been the foundation of the faith ever since. 
And the rest of this is gravy. And then you come to this amazing, not really amazing moment where you come to church meetings, organizational structure, and leadership development. And for many of us, this is like the spot when you're reading devotionally, you're like, okay, on to the next story. Like, okay, what is this going to do in my life? I want to see the power of God at work. And here, we so often, we so often, at least for me, I won't put this on you, but at least for me, sometimes when I come to these moments, I just want to skip past them because I want to see what God's doing, forgetting that this is at the heart of what God's doing in the world. What we see at the center of our text, what we're seeing, what Lori brilliantly, her and I, had, we, we did not have any conversation before this. This is why she's just such a sharp leader. <laughs> she always knows way before I do what's going on. Um, but what we see, and at the center of this text, and what we need to better understand when we leave here today, is that God isn't just about multiplying moments, these amazing moments, but establishing a multiplying movement. God isn't just about multiplying moments, but establishing a multiplying movement. And then often this establishing of a multiplying movement is all the stuff that's behind the scenes. It's the quiet, the often overlooked or, you know, underserved. It's, the, it's those that many times don't even get any credit, but, but are the very backbone of what God at the very center, what, at the very center of what God is doing in the world. God isn't just about multiplying these amazing moments but multiplying and this, or establishing a multiplying movement. And I want you to think about the reason why you and I are here this morning. We've been asking this question again and again as we've been walking through the book of Acts. The reason you and I are here today, some 2,000 years later, some 7,000 miles away from the place of origin, isn't because of a few amazing moments where a couple really extraordinary individuals did a couple things. The reason you and I are here today is because God has been working through an amazing movement of people and multiplying his influence this world over through a little movement called the local church. He's not just about multiplying these amazing moments that bring shock and awe and sometimes can fizzle to nothing or, as we saw in Lystra, be completely misconstrued, but about establishing this multiplying movement, this world over. And listen, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I find myself just looking for that next spiritual experience. I want God to feel real in my life, and that's not bad. I'm not trying to bash on that at all. We should be asking God to answer our prayers. We should be looking for ways in which the creator of the world is engaged in his world and engaged in the lives of, of his followers, for sure. But what we need to understand is that those amazing moments we want to see take shape and take life in our life, those moments are for you. Once again, not bad, but those moments are for your faith, your joy, your hope, and that's good. But what about everyone else? By that I mean, what about the people you don't know? What about the people, let's say God takes you out of Kansas City in one way, shape, or form. What about the people who come after you? You see, God isn't just about multiplying amazing movements, as good as that is and as much as he is involved in that, but God is about establishing a multiplying movement, and this movement is for everyone, the people you may never be able to reach, the people who will come after you, the people who need to hear the gospel and what God is doing in the world, the people who can be catalysts for common good initiatives this world over as the church has continued to be for over 2,000 years. God is about a movement. And this movement is 
for everyone. And listen, if we don't lean all into what God is doing through the local church, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look over the history of your life and you're going to see all these amazing moments, as amazing as they are and as good as they are, but they will die with you. And God wants your life to be about something more. He wants to meet you. He wants to care for you. That's good, yes. But he wants to work through you for a dynamic good that's way bigger than anything you can do on your own. He wants to work through a movement that outlasts you and outreaches any one of us. And this morning in our text, we're going to look at this multiplying movement. And we're going to look at three catalytic multipliers that have always been at the heart of the church and a movement that outlasts any one of us that has lasted now for two millennia and will continue to last more and more until Christ returns. We're going to look at three multiplying areas that have always been true of the historical church and we pray continues to be true of us. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means to lean all in to this multiplying movement together today. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, beginning there in verse uh, 21. And the first thing we actually see that if we want to lean all into this multiplying movement, the first thing that we should be about in one of these key multipliers is multiplying disciples, multiplying disciples. And we see this right here in verse 22, Paul and Barnabas They go strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you see these three key words, strengthening, encouraging, tribulations, does that sound like a flash in the pan, short-term, immediate and instant gratification? No. You see, Paul and Barnabas aren't just about, you know, making converts, They're not just interested in introducing people to Jesus, but making disciples and helping people know what it means to follow Jesus in every nook and cranny of their lives. Not just a moment, but a movement. You know, one of the things that gets me so excited, it's one of the most exciting things when I think about amazing moments, is when people who don't know Jesus finally begin to know Jesus and know that good news is true for them. Like, the good news goes from good news to like, amazing news, I can't believe this is news for me, news. And, you know, I, in college, there was a moment where I got together with some, uh, a group of friends and we went around to the Ohio State University, which, um, you know, I, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, if you've ever gone to like a, a graduation, the, the definite article, the, gets real old real quick, like, and Johnny is going to the Ohio State University. And then you feel bad for, and he's going to Ohio. Like, then there's like this other one. And you're like, sorry, buddy. Or Miami. That sometimes wasn't that better. But anyway, uh, we were walking around. That was pointless. We're walking around uh, the Ohio State University. And there was this, this young girl. And she was sitting on like a blanket reading a book. And because, you know, I wanted to tell her about the gospel, I interrupted her perfectly good day. And, <clears throat> and I came up to talk to her. And we got to talking. And we were thinking through different ways before that moment to how do we start this conversation around the gospel without just being like, do you know Jesus? Like that just feels a little oppressive. So you got to figure out a, a thoughtful way to engage conversation. And we started talking. And in the midst of that conversation, she said, I want that news to be true of me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I, I want what he did on the cross to pay for my sin. I want that. And so we prayed together and it started this. And I remember asking her, okay, so like what what was like the catalyst? Was there anybody praying for you? Was there anything going on before that? And I, never in a million years would I have guessed what she said. She's like, you know those billboards that say hell is for real? 
And I was like, no, don't say that. Um, <laughs> she's like, but for real, like that was a catalyst for me. I was like, what if it is? Like, what is after death? Like, and it just started getting my, I, honestly, I was driving home last week and it started getting the conversation going. You never know what God's going to use. But I can tell you right now, that was like such an exciting moment. But the hard work was yet to come. I was connecting her with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and helping them connect her to a local church. Because you know what multiplying disciples is? It's the ups and the downs. It's the tears and the confusion. It's the doubts still in the midst of faith. It's admitting the tribulations that Paul says be ready for. When we want to enter the kingdom of God, which means how God is reigning supreme over every nook and cranny of our lives and the world this over. It means admitting that there are valleys to begin with. It means, if you think about the gentleman, Larry from Lystra, it's recognizing and walking and following Jesus the moment your legs work and the decades before when they didn't. And the question we ought to be asking ourselves when we think about how God is working to establish this multiplying movement and not just amazing moments, the question you need to ask, I need to ask as, as the people of God is this, are you just looking for a moment of change for yourself or a transforming movement that outreaches you? Don't, you, you, you shouldn't be actually not looking for those really powerful moments of change for yourself, but don't, don't let that be the only thing you're looking for. Or you've stopped short. You've just sought after a moment rather than this bigger picture of what God is doing through the movement. Are you just looking for a dynamic moment of change for yourself or a transforming movement that outreaches you. Join the movement of what God is doing. Where are you at? Be multiplying disciples, those who know Jesus and follow him in every aspect of their life. But you can't stop there. That's not enough. Because Paul and Barnabas don't stop there. We can't stop. Don't stop, won't stop, right? So let's <laughs> look at the, the next element in which this key multiplier, the next one is multiplying Leaders, multiplying leaders. And we see this here when you get to verse 23. Paul and Barnabas, we see in verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There is one characteristic, one, one key component that if you get this wrong, it can either cause an organization, an institution, a movement to fall apart or to flourish. And that key element is the quality of the leaders. And, and I don't say that for me. I mean for us, right? Okay? To be, to be very clear. Like the church has never been a purely flat organization. And we see this right here in this moment. Instead, the church is a place that has always been very intentional about leadership structures and formation. Always been very intentional on who has authority and how that's shaped. But the reason the church has been sustained over 2,000 years and continues to flourish and grow despite its imperfections isn't that the fact that it has leaders or it's been intentional about leaders, but it's the kind of leaders that it's been called to create, the kinds of leaders that actually reflect the founding leader of the local church. And that's Jesus himself. When he's standing there with the apostles, what does he do? He gets down on his knees and he picks up the basin and towel and he begins to wash their feet and he says, I've not come to be served, but to serve. Now go and do likewise. This is the core. And when we think about leadership within the church and what it means to now be cultivated into a leader as the church, it's defined by servanthood and selflessness. And these elders that are chosen here 
Part of it is because of age, okay? Many, in our culture, we have downgraded and, and I think un, inappropriately so now taken away some of the prestige of age. And maybe that's just because I'm getting older. Um, but, um, but no, in all seriousness, it wasn't just because they were the oldest in the room. It was also because, and we know this because not only of what Jesus modeled, but what Paul continued to affirm that it resonates with who Jesus is. When you look at 1 Timothy and you look at Titus, he gives these qualifications for elders. And one of the key elements is a heart of service. They're well known in the community and by others, by their generosity and how they care for other people. They're leaders, not just because of age, but because they lead in service. And they leverage their authority to lay it down and to care for those in the community. Even you look in the text, he appointed elders for them. Think about that. For the church, for the issues, the needs, the concerns that came up. When you think about leadership, some total, is that what you think about leadership today? Doesn't that still feel quite countercultural 2,000 years later? That leadership, even though there is not a flatline organization, it's been flipped on its head that the greatest leaders are those that serve the most and those who serve the most actually have the greatest pedigree to lead the most. Is that what we think of leadership in our world today? Even when I was thinking about Sarah this morning, and she's going to hate that we keep doing this to her, but it's a brilliant example already on display of asking the question, what does it look like for me to serve in the midst of our community and to join up with a great organization? That's why we have Razors as a place to navigate what God has given you. Not that you can build yourself up and find a place that people can look at you, but use those gifts and those talents to serve our community, to serve the world, to glorify our Father in heaven and to promote Jesus Christ in the gospel. And so when you think about leadership, and this is so crucial to this ongoing sustaining movement that will outlast us and outreach any one of us, the question I want you to ask yourself is, are you looking for a moment to be esteemed in the church or be a part of a movement that invites you to proactively serve, which usually means not a place of prominence but a place of obscurity? What are you looking for? Some of you are... You, you are type A personalities to the nth degree. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a place that you can be esteemed, honored, bolster your ego? Or is this a place, is this a movement that you see inviting you to proactively serve, no matter whether it's in the limelight or in the back shadows? Join the movement. Multiply leaders in the ways in which we've been called to do so. But we can't stop there. That's not even enough. Um, Yes, multiply disciples. Yes, multiply leaders. But there's something so crucial, this third multiplier, that if it does not exist, leadership formation and discipleship pathways will utterly fizzle. And they will not be sustainable. And the third multiplier is multiplying churches. And here's, there's a couple reasons why that's true. First, the church community is the best context to both multiply and to do discipleship work as well as leadership formation. When Jesus said, go and make disciples at the end of Matthew 28, he wasn't saying each one reach one exclusively, okay? What he's saying is, is go plant churches. Go com- create communities. He's never saying less than each one reach one, but it's about this community formation, about engaging one another and now supporting and encouraging one another. Because listen, whether you realize it or not, you are being formed and often deformed by broader cultural values. You don't even realize how deeply they've seeped into your bones. 
You're being formed and potentially deformed by family of origin cycles of destruction. You may be formed or deformed by the broader ads who aren't helping you get what you know you really need, but are often forming the ideas and what we think we want because they tell us that's what we want. You're always being formed, whether you realize it or not. And what we need is a community where actually we have a space where brothers and sisters in Christ can strengthen one another and encourage one another in the faith. The truth about the world, when the lies of the world seem so appealing and way more accurate than the truth that we see portrayed in the gospel. We need a place where newcomers can feel welcome, not overly awkward. We do our best, but we're still awkward. But you know, like a place where we can actually have a beachhead to actually engage the community in thoughtful ways. I remember when we were planting the downtown campus and we were thinking through, should we just get a Sunday-only space? Should we do like a full week space? Should we lease? Should we buy? And we asked the Crossroads Community Association. Some of you know this story. We said, hey, to be a good neighbor, what do you think we need to do? Because we want to listen to the community. And they said, hey, could you buy or lease a space in our neighborhood and fix it up? Oh, really? That's what you want? That would be huge for us. Could you do that? Make our space more beautiful? And let's put down roots. Like, be here for a while. We need you to be here for a while. And we think that means you should buy or lease a building and make our community a lot more beautiful. They weren't Christians. This was their perspective on what it means to love them. Our neighbors. And we need that space. We need to be a community where we can encourage one another, lay down roots, and have an open door. Because you never know how people are going to find this place. You never know who you invite and why they're going to come. But we need that space. And that space is the church. The second reason why multiplying churches is so important is that this is the only way that the movement goes on beyond us. This is the only way, whether, whether God takes you in one way, shape, or form out of KC, local churches. God, I get hit by a bus tomorrow. <coughs> or anybody else. The way that God continues to have this faithful presence generation after generation isn't focused in on an individual, but it's the faithful presence of his church over time. And you begin to see the ripple effects and actually the trust you get from every, oh man, they've been in the community for a while. They've been doing these things in the community for a while. We should, we should see why that is. Because who knows, <clears throat> you might, when you move away, you've been inviting a coworker or a family member or a neighbor, <coughs> excuse me, and then they, you move away and then they finally, something happens in their life. And you know what? I was talking with them and I remember them inviting me and I'm, I've got these questions and I'm curious if maybe the church that they were plugged into might have some of the answers. And I'm curious about this Jesus person and really what this means for my life. Is this place going to be available to them when you're gone? Is this community going to be here when you're gone? This is the only way the movement goes on after we're gone. And I love in verse 23, when we read, they appointed elders for them in every church. This is something that was common. And every time a church was planted, you saw the multiplying of disciples and the multiplying of leaders to carry on the sustaining mission for the long haul. These ecclesias. This is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 16 when he says, not even the gates of Hades will be able to overcome my ecclesia. Right? This, this community with these shared values centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ going the long haul. I'm, I'm convinced, and I don't remember who said it. It was somebody really smart, some 
point along the way. So there you go. This is really trustworthy. No, but seriously, this is a great phrase, and I've seen it now. Nothing ever changes without individuals. But nothing ever endures without institutions. Nothing ever changes without individuals, but nothing will endure without institutions. Why? I love the way uh, pastor and theologian Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, <clears throat> you know, there's only, so, there's only so long that you can meet in the park in the open air. And, and part of that we experienced this morning, quite frankly. Some of you know we have lost our kid space up there above the former sundry for at least a period. And it was raining this morning. And for you, rain might seem like nothing because we have this space in here. But our kids are actually meeting out there at 9 o'clock in a tent. So every time it rains, I think we might not have a space for our kids. Open air park. It only lasts for a little bit until people say, well, I don't know if they're going to have something. I mean, so space matters. And then job descriptions and benefit packages matter because you can only write back to mom and ask her to send you a check for so long. You know, people have to be paid if you want to keep the movement going. Job descriptions are crucial if you want to have ownership of different roles in keeping this movement going. Then a good movement understands, okay, what are the shared values and what's the mission statement? Because if you change your mission every week, you won't be around for a month because nobody's going to know what you stand for. And so the best movements actually institutionalize. And I know that's scary. There's big dangers as to once people start getting paid out of an institution, do they just work to help support the institution? That's a danger anywhere. But listen, even with that, the only way that this movement goes on beyond you or me is if this movement has institutional legs for the long haul and impacts generation after generation after generation. That's the truly selfless impact. When it's not even about you anymore, but it's about the people you may never even meet. That's what it means to be about not just a moment, as amazing as they are, but about, about this movement that goes beyond who you are. And so I want to ask this question this morning, just as you think about where you're investing your time, as you're investing kind of your energy, is it just in focused and chasing after those amazing moments? Or are you pursuing and helping bolster a multiplying movement. Another way to put it is, is like this. Where are you settling for moments instead of or rather than a movement? Where are you settling for moments rather than a movement? And moments are good. Once again, moments are really good and I hope they continue to impact each one of us. I hope you continue to have these amazing moments with God. But they're stepstones, even these little stepstones in a cross-generational movement. That's been going on for 2,000 years. And even as I started thinking about that question, you're like, where are you settling? I felt like that was a bit too ambiguous and not even capturing as, as deeply as what we see here in the text. So I went a little bit further in helping clarify this. Here's, the, here's another question. As you look across your life, you look across your calendar, you look across your bank account, ask yourself, am I investing in this movement today where another will receive tomorrow? investing today so that someone else will actually get the benefit of my investment. You know, one of the common conversations, you know, we're, we're real, right, as a church. Um, wow, I just felt really cheesy saying that. But here it is. Um, you know, one of the most common conversations I have uh, with folks, and, and some of you may be here for the Challenge Conference. It's a youth conference, part of EFCA. Welcome, welcome. Um, there are different points in life where it just feels like life is really 
transitory. Like it, you, there's a lot of fear to commit. There's always fear to commit broadly. But especially in an urban context, there's the question like, okay, what if I'm not here in a year? What if I'm not here in a couple of weeks? I've got a relationship that's really fragile. Gabe, I don't know how long, I don't know how many times I've heard this. Gabe, I don't know how long I'm being KC. It could be a couple months, a couple years. And so in, those, in that process, you come week in and week out looking for a word, a moment of encouragement, and that's good, and you should want those things. And I hope that becomes a place for that. But I hope that's not all you pursue. Because if you're just here for a moment, and just to get a moment for however long you're here, you're missing out. You're missing out. Because I want you to understand, we're, we're bringing all of this up. The text is bringing this all up. The reason we have this laid out in Acts isn't so that the church later can manipulate you and get something from you. No, 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 no. The reason this is laid out is because God has so much more for you. And where do I get the audacity to say something like that? It's, it's, it has everything to do with what happens next with Paul and Barnabas. When you continue walking through this story, when you get down to verse 27, I love this. What, what's fascinating is they leave, they help plant these churches, and they're just like, I'm out. You've been committed to the Lord. You believed in. Have good time. You know, you're going to do great. And they're like, no, Paul, wait, wait, wait. Um, but he goes, and he goes back to the church that sent him all the way back in Antioch. In verse 27, this is what we read. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, listen to this, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I love that phrase. And they declared all that God had done with them. Don't you want that to be said of you? Don't you want to be a part of something where you can look back and say, look at all that God has done with us. And it's possible. It's not something that's so far-fetched. And to make this real, I want, you to, I want you to grab your chair. You're not going to be stacking them. Your second service. Sometimes third service, you're like, wait a second, what's happening? Um, <clears throat> I want you to grab your chair. And you're not going to go on a roller coaster ride or anything like that. But also, and I'm going to ask you to do something that's really scary in kind of like a large group setting. But trust me, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Um, my eyes will still be open. Uh, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine, oh, thank you. Um, see, look at that. I'll actually, open them up real quick. Evan just got me a cup of water when your eyes were closed. Brilliant leadership serving. Oh, that's kind. Anyway, uh, close your eyes again. Uh, here we go. This is a roller coaster, folks. No, I, I, darn it. Um, I want you to think about, you're sitting in that chair right now. I want you to think about God taking you away from KC, one reason or another. And I want you to think about someone else sitting in that chair. Someone you don't know. Maybe they're here. You don't know her story. You don't know why she found the church on Google. Or maybe, maybe it was someone you invited at work and they finally decided to come. You don't know what he's wrestling through that finally got him to come to church that morning. You don't know the questions this person has. But there was a place for them. And they sit in the chair you're seated in. Hungry for answers. Hungry to find a church that nourishes them in the faith, that strengthens and encourages them. And because of your investment here, there was a seat for them later. Look up here. Don't lose sight of the people you can't see. God has been doing something through the church for over 2,000 years. 
And Paul understood this because of what he understood about Jesus' promise and what Jesus has called his people to do. And Paul, even when he was on the brink, when he almost lost his life, the very next thing is he leaned all in to helping multiply, encourage, and strengthen churches. And actually, if you look up to verses 19 through 21, look at it later, you'll find the repetition of the word city again and again and again. Paul proclaims the gospel to that city. And then where does he go? He goes to these cities, Iconium, Lystra, and so on. Because at the very heart of it, when the church flourishes, Paul understood the cultural mandate, the creation mandate, all the way back in Genesis, where we're, we're to cultivate and care for God's good world. That is done best when the church flourishes and actually is then catalyzed to carry out God's good world, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to cultivate the common good of our city. The best way to care for our city is when the, city, when the church begins to flourish. And Paul understood all of this, and he leans in. I want to ask you this morning a challenge that I want you to think about this next week. For you today, what does it look like for you to take that next step in the movement? Not just a moment, but what does it look like for you to take that next step in the movement? Maybe for some of you that's serving on a Sunday morning. Maybe for some of you, you haven't been contributing financially to the movement of what God is doing to the local church. And there's a percentage in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm going to start engaging in that way. For some of you, it may be joining a community group this fall. Finally, okay, I'm going to let people in and I'm going to give myself to other people relationally, open myself up. Okay, maybe I'm going to engage with razors and have a better framework in how to follow Jesus in all of life. Maybe it's becoming a member of this church. Maybe, just maybe to be like Sarah, where you're learning, engaging some of these tools and you're engaging with other strategic partners that are partnering with the church and this dynamic movement in the world. Maybe it's responding to my emails. Sorry. Um, that was a slip. That's not anywhere in my notes. No, but <clears throat> just joking. But seriously, be thinking about the ways in which you can take that next step in the movement. Because this isn't something from you. This is something for you. This is a great place where we can declare together, look at what God has done with us. And I also just want to say a huge thank you to everybody because... I'm just really proud to be a pastor here. Like, I get to brag on you to so many folks and other pastors. I'm like, you ain't got nothing on our church. We're not competitive. We're collaborative with other churches. But I love you. <laughs> <clears throat> and I am so proud to be your pastor because you do give so much. And for some of you, you're feeling the nudge to go another step further. Others of you, you're finally feeling the nudge to take finally that first step. But wherever it is, take the next step in the movement. And listen, God is doing some truly amazing things. You know, I heard somebody else say this, and this has been so true just in my own experience. We often overestimate what we can do individually in a year. But we underestimate what God can do through his church in a decade. Even if you leave, even if God calls you away from this community, we often underestimate what God can do through his church in a decade. And listen, the church isn't perfect no church is perfect, I've often said, and it's not original with me. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it, right? Like, there's that reality. But why does God keep working through his church? Because he doesn't have a plan B. The local church is God designed it. When it's really leaning into the way that he's organized her to function, she really is the hope of the world because she carries forth the gospel and the implications of that gospel breathe the, the common good of our city when we understand the robust calling to be about the kingdom of God in the world. And it's by his grace he keeps working through a flawed church. There is no plan B. And listen, 
It's, it continues to grow. Isn't it fascinating how more and more people are becoming disciples of Jesus every day this world over? And it's happening here at Christ Community too. If you weren't able to join us back in April, we had our big baptism celebration where people who are saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to let the world know about it for the first time to everybody and we can celebrate together and we're in this together. If you weren't able to join us for April, there was amazing moments just to hear people's stories and the, and the beauty of what God's doing in and through his church, all for his glory. And we had four people from the downtown campus. We had Devin, we had, you know, we, we, we had Jordan, we had Haley, and we had Allie, and I got to baptize them. And was, I just love those moments. It goes back to those exciting moments back in the Ohio State University. Like, this, awesome. And it was so great. And understanding and reminding us yourself how God isn't just working in those amazing moments, but in establishing a multiplying movement throughout history. And he's still doing that through people who came way before us, who invested in the church. I mean, can you imagine... I can't imagine that Tom thought, he's the founding pastor of Christ Community, some 30 years ago with a few families in Lenexa, that somehow over 30 years you'd have five campuses across the city where people can come together and encourage one another and strengthen one another. People can hear about the gospel and be equipped to now care for our city in broader common good categories. He couldn't have imagined that. And look what God's done because he's still doing that. I'm so excited that we get to declare together, if we continue to invest in this movement, look at what God has done with us. And to inspire us all the more, I just want to remind us by looking back at that moment in April, we've got a short video that just captures and helps us see all the people that God is redeeming, the disciples he's multiplying, the leaders he's multiplying, and the church that he's multiplying. Let's watch.